We're going to be reading from Mark chapter 3 tonight. We'll read from verse 20 to verse 35. Let's read. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons. He is driving out demons. So Jesus called them and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact... No one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can rob his house. I tell you the truth, all the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying, he has an evil spirit. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers? he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. This is God's word for us tonight. We had some friends in Africa who were riding in a taxi one day, and they got stopped at a police checkpoint. And the police officer was not having a good day, so he was taking it out on everyone who came by. So he got in the face of the taxi driver. What do you think you're doing? Why'd you come up so fast? What's going on here? And the taxi driver was kind of a high-strung guy, and he wasn't really in the mood to take any of that, so he went right back at the police officer. What are you doing here? There was no need to stop me. I'm driving according to the law. What's your problem? And of course, police officers around the world do not respond well to that particular approach. So he started yelling back louder, and they both kind of kept escalating to the point people were starting to stare. And finally, the taxi driver threw his driver's license and his registration at the police officer, and the police officer grabbed him and read the man's name and said, oh, you're from my tribe. You're my brother. How are you? And the two of them exchanged greetings in their traditional language, and they sort of did a half hug out the taxi window, and they started playing Nigerian bingo, you know, is my aunt related to your third cousin or something? Really great. Oh, you grew up in that village. So good to see you. And after a little bit of that, the police officer stepped back and said, be on your way now. Drive safely. Have a wonderful day. Go, go. And then as they pulled away and the car behind them pulled up, the police officer switched modes again and started screaming at the driver in the car behind him. And as they were proceeding, my friends who were in the taxi said, what was that all about? I really thought we were in trouble there. And the taxi driver said, oh, no, 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 that man, he's good. He's my brother. Everything is good. There there was no problem. People find their identity in a lot of things. And the identity or the identities that we're given that we assume, they shape our lives in profound ways. We often protect, we take care of those who belong to us, who fit with our identity. And we, we pull down, we attack, we speak and act against those who threaten our identity. If you fight for the same cause, if you belong to the same tribe, you're great, you're okay, you're my brother. But if you threaten the cause, if you threaten the tribe, if you threaten the identity, 
That's not okay. In the text that we read for today, Jesus is threatening the identity of a couple different groups. And in their own ways, these two groups come and they try to shut them up. They try to take them down. And these two groups in our text for tonight are Jesus' family and then also the teachers of the law. So my first point for tonight as we look at this text is that both Jesus' family and the teachers of the law are trying to protect their identity by attacking Jesus. And they do this in different ways. His family just wants to hush Jesus up. They want to kind of take charge of him and get him out of the public eye. They've been hearing that he's attracting crowds, that all kinds of crazy and almost unbelievable things are happening. He's so busy, he can't even take the time to eat, and he's, he's healing people and casting out demons, and there's all these stories, and it just doesn't stop. And his family arrives at the conclusion that he's just out of his mind. He's just gone crazy. So his family goes, and they want to just kind of take Jesus by the hand and lead him away to a quiet place where they can hush things up. And if we read between the lines in this text, his family probably isn't really concerned with Jesus. They're concerned with themselves. Back then, your identity was all tied up in your family. Who your family was, what your family did, defined who you were. And the other side of that is that what you did, the kind of life you lived, the kind of person you were thought to be, defined how your family was seen. You had to keep up the identity of the family. You couldn't be ashamed because what you did affected your father, your brother, your sister, your mother, your cousin, your aunt, your uncle, everybody. Everybody's identity was tied up in what you did. And Jesus' behavior seems to have been causing a scandal for his family, so they're embarrassed by him. They want to drag him away. They want to get him out of the public eye. They want to stop this scandal. He's not doing what they want him to do, and they want to make it stop. So at the beginning and the end of our text for today, Jesus' family is looking for him to take him away. But in the middle, in between the beginning and the end, in the middle, these teachers of the law come, and they confront Jesus. And these teachers have come from Jerusalem, these particular verses tell us. If you've been here the last few weeks, as we went through chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3, Jesus has a whole set of encounters with what seem to be local teachers of the law. These are people who came to check out new teachers in the area, make sure that they were teaching the right thing and doing the right thing. And as chapter 2 proceeds and goes into chapter 3, these teachers of the law and Jesus have an increasingly antagonistic relationship. It starts out with some questions and some muttering, and by the, by the beginning of chapter 3, really, the teachers are plotting how they can kill Jesus. They've heard what he has to say, and they don't like it. They've seen what he's up to, and it has to stop. So it seems like these local teachers had sent to the head office. They'd sent to Jerusalem and said, send us some heavyweights. Send us some people who can come over and knock this new teacher out. And so these new teachers, these guys from Jerusalem, show up, and they start by accusing Jesus of being possessed by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. They're trying to get Jesus under control here, so they go with the nuclear option. If he's not in line with our agenda, he's got to go. And if he's not doing what we want him to do, clearly he's possessed by the devil. Now that sounds like a pretty extreme accusation, and it it really is. It's pretty big stuff when you say this guy is possessed by the prince of demons, and that's why he's able to do what he do, do what he does. That's pretty extreme. 
But I think it's on the same spectrum with anybody and everybody who looks at anything that Jesus does or anything that Jesus teaches and says, I don't want that. The teachers of the law are being extreme, but what they're basically saying is Jesus is not trustworthy. Jesus is not to be followed. And so what they're doing has basically the same form as anybody who rejects Jesus. Whether they reject him wholeheartedly or they pick and choose and just say, there's, there's certain things I like and certain things I don't. What the teachers of the law and what the family too are doing here is basically what most of humanity does with Jesus. We're still doing this today. We're still trying to make our own way. We're still trying to protect our own identities. And that's our second point for tonight, that we're still doing this. The form looks different, but we're still trying to protect our own identities. And if people find their identity in anything at all, anything at all except Jesus, that identity can never be completely secure. And so if we have our identity in anything but Jesus, well, people get tempted to lash out, to attack others so that they can feel better about themselves. We see that here in the Gospel of Mark with Jesus' family and with the teachers of the law as in different ways they try to get Jesus under control. But we also see it in our world today. We see today so many different ways that people set up their own identity and become so enmeshed with that that any kind of threat just has to be attacked. Charlottesville has been in the news a lot the last couple of weeks with the white supremacist, rally, white supremacist rally that happened there. It seems like two, three hundred angry white guys got together to say how great they were and things predictably spiraled out of control from there. But as you probably know, white supremacism isn't anything new. People, that, people who believe that your skin color determines how much you're worth, that's been going on in our world for a long, long, long time. And of course, if it even needs to be said, it's ridiculous and wrong and sinful that skin color or socioeconomic class or the tribe you're from or whatever determines how much you're worth. But that's nothing new and it's nothing unusual. We see that basic approach with white supremacist groups, with all kinds of other political groups. With, we saw that a lot with tribes in Africa. And I think we even see it in our own lives sometimes. The Heidelberg Catechism tells us that we have, we have a fundamental tendency to hate God and to hate our neighbor. And one of the ways that that gets worked out is that we build this particular identity for ourselves and then we go after anything or anybody who dares to threaten that identity. We make our identity about being from a certain place or living in a certain zip code or having gone to a certain school or having a particular kind of job. And all of those can be good things, but too often we make idols out of those things. We put our whole hope in being this, whatever it is. And then anything that threatens that, we have to attack. And no matter what that is, even if it's almost the best thing in the world, well, Jesus will require that we not make that the very root of our identity if we're going to follow him. Just like Jesus was offensive 2,000 years ago, he continues to be offensive today. He continues to come to us, and even when we're focusing on good things, challenge us to focus on him, on the best thing. And outside and inside the church, we keep having the temptation to try to just quiet Jesus down a little bit, 
to get them under control, to lead them off to a quiet corner where we can speak some sense into them, or to just straight up reject them and say, that man is crazy. But Jesus isn't going to be fit into anything else. There is no other identity that can be at the root of our being if we're going to follow Jesus. And Jesus forces us to make a clear choice. He forces us to make a very clear choice between Him and anything else. He doesn't go with the flow to keep the peace. He doesn't allow us to be kind of in and kind of out. He makes it clear that He is on the right side and that we need to choose to be on that side or to be against Him. When the teachers in this text accuse Jesus of being in league with the devil, Jesus calls them over and He gives them a couple parables. And he starts by pointing out to them that a divided kingdom can't stand. They've said basically he's in league with the devil. But he says, well, if the devil is casting out the demons, then his kingdom is divided and his kingdom is falling apart. And how does that make any sense? And even if it does, Satan's kingdom is toppling by the work I'm doing. He's telling these people, you're you're just not making any sense. But more than that, Jesus pushes on. More than that, he says, how can anyone plunder a strong man's house unless he first ties up the strong man? And Jesus, in that parable, he's identifying Satan as a strong man. He's saying, yeah, Satan has power. He's got people and he's got things under his control. The kingdom of evil is a real thing. But you can see in my work that I'm plundering the kingdom of Satan. And so Jesus' message is that he is stronger than Satan. Through this parable, Jesus is telling the teachers of the law, what I'm doing here, what I'm doing here is plundering Satan's kingdom. I have tied up the prince of demons, and he is powerless to stop me. Jesus is telling the teachers of the law, I am destroying, I am destroying the prince of demons, and I am taking his stuff and his people away from him. My ministry, if you look at it, is an assault on the kingdom of Satan, and I am winning, and Satan is losing. And one implication of that is that you're either with Jesus, or if you're fighting against him, you're with the kingdom of Satan. And that's part of what Jesus means when he says that all the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven because he's guilty of an eternal sin. Jesus is not saying there's some obscure, random sin that if you commit that one, if you commit that one, and who knows what it is, but if you commit that one, God will never forgive you. That's not what Jesus is saying. And so if you're one of those people who has that real and serious struggle with whether, whether you've committed the unforgivable sin, whether God can really forgive you for what you've done, the fact that you're worrying about it, The fact that you wonder and worry is a pretty good sign that you haven't committed the unforgivable sin. Because what Jesus identifies as the unforgivable sin here is stubborn, continual rejection of Him. The unforgivable sin is enduring, hard-hearted, set-in-stone denial that Jesus is the Son of God. Denial that He's the King of all things. And if you hold out against Jesus, if you say, Jesus is not who I'm going to follow, then what hope is left for you? 
if you reject the Savior that God has sent. And even more than that is the teachers of the law here. If you look at the Savior that God has provided and you identify Him with Satan, what can God do with you? What, what else can be done? These teachers of the law, they're boxing themselves up more and more into a corner as the Gospel of Mark goes on. They've started out by checking out Jesus and seeing what he's up to, and then they get kind of mad at him, and then they, they decide to plot to kill him, and then they say, he's of the devil. And by the time they've gotten to that point, what, what is possibly left for them to do? They've made their choice, and they have chosen against Jesus. And the more they cling on to their own power, the more they cling on to this identity, identity that they've developed apart from Jesus, the less hope there is from them. All of us have a choice to make. All of us have to make this same choice. Do we build our lives on Jesus or do we find our identity in something else? Is our greatest value tied up with something else, with cultural or national or political, political or racist or religious power? Or is our identity really about belonging to Jesus? Do we choose to follow Jesus above all else? Or are we choosing something else? Now that can sound kind of hard sometimes. In some ways, Jesus is telling us that it's his way or the highway. And it is true for all of us that we have to give some things up when we choose to follow Jesus. There is nothing else that we can hang on to in an ultimate sense if we're going to make an ultimate commitment to Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that we have to really work ourselves up into a frenzy and say, you know, could I give up everything? Could I give up my car and my house and my family? Could I do that or not? That's not necessarily all that helpful. God doesn't necessarily provide us with the strength we need to theoretically give up things that he doesn't call us to give up. But God does always give us the strength we need to give up whatever it is that he has called us to give up today. So don't get too fussed about whether you could die for the cause of Christ. It's a good question to ask sometimes maybe, but the more important question is probably right now. Right now in your life, is there something that you are choosing instead of Jesus? Right now in your life, are you blocking out something that Jesus said or are you somehow stepping back from Jesus' call so that you can hang on to something else right now today how can you yet again make the clear choice to follow jesus and the thing is that when we follow jesus when we really engage with his cause he always gives us more than what he takes away from us now it doesn't always seem like that day to day but one of the real truths of the christian faith is that god always gives us more than he asks us to give up for him. And one of the things that Jesus gives us, and this is our fourth point for tonight, Jesus gives us an absolutely unshakable identity. When we turn to Jesus, he gives us an identity that nothing else can shake or take away. Social gatherings often have this kind of awkward dynamic to them that there's some people who belong, and there's some people who kind of belong, and there's some people who don't really belong. And it's interesting to watch this at extended family gatherings, especially with pictures. 
when the whole family gets together for holidays, for funerals, for weddings, often, and somehow it always seems to be one of the aunts, one of the aunts says, hey, let's get a picture of all the grandkids, the cousins, and some of you are laughing because you can picture exactly which aunt in your family, and it's always the same one, says, let's do this. So you get everybody together, but then there can be this awkward moment when, okay, you've got all the cousins, but what about the people who married the cousins? Do they belong in the picture or not? And what about the people engaged to the cousins? Do they belong in the picture or not? And what about the boyfriends and girlfriends, regardless of what level they're at? You know, do you have to be dating for three months or six months or just a day? What, what, who, get, who belongs and who doesn't? And depending on the family and the situation, there can be this awkward thing where you feel like you belonged and you've been in the family for a decade because you married into it and all of a sudden you realize that they don't want you in that picture. It's happened. You thought you belonged, and all of a sudden you realize that you're on the outside again, looking in. Now that's kind of a trivial example, and hopefully none of you have had major family fallings out over that kind of thing. Maybe you have. But I think more and more these days, people have that kind of experience with different things in their lives. There's things that they thought were really really central to who they were, places that they thought they really belonged, and all of a sudden, that evaporates. All of a sudden, it's gone. And that can happen with anything. You can be, you know, you can have a great career going. You can be a good mechanic or accountant. It doesn't matter. And you thought you had a great company, and you thought you belonged there, and you thought you were appreciated, and then the company gets bought out, and you're gone. Nothing about you matters. You just... We're a cog in the wheel that could be replaced more cheaply. Or you make your identity all about your family and you feel like that's really where you belonged and who you belong to and then your parents start making crazy decisions or your kids wander off and get into things you shouldn't be into and at some point they turn their back on you. And suddenly you realize this family that was at the center of your identity, it's not what you thought it was. You can't be who you thought you could be anymore. There are all kinds of good and even great things that are part of our identity, but if we root our identity in them, they almost always let us down in the end. Jesus' family comes calling for him in the verses that we read for today. His mother and his brothers are outside the house where he's teaching, and they send word in that they're there and they're looking for him. And remember, this is a time and a place where family is everything. Your identity is all about your family. But when Jesus hears that his family is outside and they're looking for him, he doesn't respond how you'd expect. He responds first with a question. Who are my mother and my brothers? Who are my brother and my brothers? Who really is my family? Who do I belong to? And you can guess that the room probably went silent for a minute as everybody thought, Has he really lost it? Those are his mother and his brothers. This is not hard. Why is he asking this question? But then Jesus keeps going. After he asks, who are my mother and my brothers? You can maybe imagine him looking around the room and then saying, here, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and my sister and my mother. And as he says that, Jesus redefines everything. In those few words, he says, it doesn't matter where you came from. 
It doesn't matter who you used to be. It doesn't matter what other identities you thought were most important to you. What is most important is that we belong to Jesus. And if we follow Jesus, if we belong to Him, if we follow God's will, we're part of Jesus' forever family. And let that sink in for a minute. If we belong to Jesus, He tells us that we are His brothers and His sisters. If we belong to Jesus, we have an identity that nothing, not even death itself, nothing can shake that identity. So let me ask you again, what is your identity? In your heart of hearts, do you belong to Jesus or are you looking to something else? And if you're looking to something else, I can guarantee you that it will let you down. Only Jesus can give you an identity that cannot be shaken. Only Jesus can give you an identity that will stand the test of time. Only Jesus can give you an identity that can bear the weight of eternity. I'm going to close with one last point tonight. And that point basically is that we, we should share Jesus with the world. We should find our own identity in Jesus, but we should also bring other people to Jesus. We should invite others to find that in Christ, as they become Jesus' brothers and sisters, they find an identity that cannot be shaken. Everybody, everybody is looking for some sense of belonging. We're often pretty hard on our culture, and I think, I think we should be. There's a lot of things in our culture that aren't right. But I think one thing that our culture gets right is that people have a desperate need to belong. I think these days, maybe more than in the past, people realize that they have a desperate need for some kind of identity. And often they recognize that the old answers just don't cut it anymore. Things that people felt like used to be stable, places they used to feel like they could belong, just aren't there anymore in our culture. And so people are desperate to belong. Now often the answers that people find aren't really that helpful. This is where you find, well, people get into gangs, they get into white supremacist movements, they get into all kinds of splinter groups, all kinds of classism, racism, tribalism, all kinds of things that give them an identity that they feel like they can hold on to but it doesn't work. And people still are left with this desperate sense that they don't really belong, that their identity is fragile and always under attack, that they can never just rest. And I think that basic desire to belong is a great connecting point for the gospel. Jesus is the only place that people can find an unshakable identity and because of that, the people of God, the church, I think is the only real hope for the world. The church, this people that God gathers and protects and preserves for himself from all the nations, it's the only hope of the world. It's only in the church that it's really possible to transcend all of our differences, to manage to move past all these other identities that we try to hold on to that just don't center us. The church, the people we have gathered with tonight, we are the only hope the world has of reconciliation, of unity, and of true belonging.
Only Jesus can give us an identity that cannot be shaken. And if we belong to Jesus, we are part of the only people group in the world that can welcome anybody and everybody. When we lived in Africa, we mostly worked with a denomination that had gathered maybe 15 or 20 tribes together. And there were tensions sometimes. There was some questions of which language we should speak and who should get which position. But still, on Sunday, these 15 or 20 tribes would come to church. And they would all gather together and they would worship the one Lord Jesus Christ and they would live out the unity of being one body. And their brother wasn't just the guy from the tribe that they belonged to. Their brother was anybody who belonged to Jesus. Their sister was anybody who belonged to Jesus. It didn't matter what village you came from. It didn't matter what language you spoke. It didn't matter which tribe. It didn't matter your name. It didn't matter anything except that we all belonged to Jesus. And that is true for all of us. Nothing matters more in our lives as individuals or as a church community than that we belong to Jesus. Whoever follows Jesus belongs to the forever family of God. By the grace of God himself, we are brothers and sisters. And we have an identity, we have a unity that nothing in this world can match and nothing in this world can shake. May we all live and live out that identity that we have.